Zach, thanks again for joining me. Greatly appreciate it. I really, really like your T-shirt here. We'll get in a little bit more in detail about that <laughs> later. Oh, man, brings me back from the childhood days, man. Yeah, absolutely. When basketball was great. Michael Jordan, you know, jumping over uh, uh, Russell and shooting that jump shot, you know. Oh, man, that Jazz and Bulls game. Last dance. That, that probably was my binge watching during COVID there. Mine, too. I loved it. Did you have a favorite part of the whole series there? Yeah, you know, I liked all of it. I think the part, you know, when the yellow bit about Rodman, I always enjoy. I think he's such an unusual character. And yeah. I, I think about him in present day, you know, with North Korea and some of the <laughs> weird things that transpired for him afterwards. It's kind of interesting. I, I really like Dennis Rodman just as a character and as a human being on how, like, he brought that team kind of together with his weirdness and oddness. Yeah. And, like, Pippen and Jordan and the rest of the team kind of just embraced him, really, if you think about it. Totally. You know, and, uh, yeah, he's the enforcer on the team. I love when they all went to Vegas and, like, picked him up, you know. <laughs> we <laughs> they drug him guy. out of the hotel. Yeah, yeah they're Dennis, like – you got to play. <laughs> oh, man. And he was kind of the game setter. Or, you know, he was – if you think about it, he he set the tone for like majority of those games, just throwing elbows or grabbing a rebound and just pushing someone and just probably taking off the other team's best player, like Carl Malone of the Jazz or Stockton, off their game. And it usually, oh, it did work because yeah. they won very many championships after that. Absolutely. So. Yeah, I think the other thing I didn't know as a kid watching the Bulls, I didn't know all the background behind the back office and you mm -hmm. know controversy and how they handled Pippen's contract and all that so it's interesting you know it was, it was a cool perspective to kind of you know hear about that later on it definitely was and just like you said I was really unaware of all that as well like the back office stuff but the, the cool thing I kind of liked was the guys that they mentioned that were kind of like unsung heroes of the Bulls team like I kind of look at myself like in your modern day sales world I as an underdog and I kind of like the Tony Kukoc oh yeah like the Luke Longley Bill Cartwright Paxson um Steve Kerr of course and you're nope. like man like they they had a role everyone had a role and they all worked that around that whole team that's a good reminder you can't win a championship without the entire team it was it's really cool to see and that was when basketball was great a absolutely the present day NBA is not even close to what it was back then they don't even play defense no. anymore man no these young kids have no idea no, they they don't. It's kind of like a NBA Jam if you ever played that back in back in our younger days oh, yeah. and everything. Yep. So, yeah, the scores are hundred to one fifty. You're like, what the heck? They don't even try to rebound or block shots. They just let them go to the hoop. So. Well, it drives me nuts. Is like you'll be in the playoffs, whether it's football or NBA now, and these guys are all friends after the game's over. They're not even mad. They just hug each other. They share jerseys. They're mm -hmm. high fiving. In the old days, these guys wanted to punch each other. Right. You know, they're, like, there was really competitive juices. You could feel it watching it. So, mm -hmm. it's just sports are different. It's interesting. It definitely is. And going kind of back to um, the last dance and everything, and like the bad boys of the Detroit Pistons, I love that era of basketball because, like you mentioned, they, there, there was no friendships. They legitimately hated each other, and they were just – try and do their best to win the championship and make their team better instead of, oh, I'm going to go hang out with so-and-so after the game or have dinner. It's like my team is my band of brothers, and we are in this from death to us part, basically. So Absolutely. And I think it created this fan loyalty that I don't really see today. Like, now it's all about brands, right? Like, I'm yeah. a Minnesota fan, and, like, mm -hmm. I basically have to accept that Timberwolves will never be good because the market's too small. As soon as we right. have a good player – they'll team up and they'll go to LA, they'll go to New York, they'll go to a big market and they'll create a brand. Mm -hmm. So, you know, with 
I think professional sports kind of lost is like all these fans in smaller markets you're not loyal to your team anymore. You have no reason to be a season ticket holder and go to the games. You're loyal to a brand, but maybe not in your own market, you know? And so that part kind of bums me out too, you know? Exactly. The days of uh, Sprewell and KG and Sam Cancel are over. Yeah, it is. Money talks too. I think it's sports anymore though. You put the dollars and cents in front of people and they'll bolt for a big contract, even though they've been with the Minnesota Twins will say for such a long time, or the Colorado Rockies, so on and so forth. They're like, okay, yeah, I could go make ten million more a year with the Yankees. Sayonara, see ya. For so, sure, for yeah. sure. Yeah, it's kind of, and going into business here and transitioning, it's like I feel like sometimes with business, I, me personally, it's like loyalty, like brand loyalty on working for an owner that's definitely taking care of you and doing all the right things and supporting you. That, that that's huge compared to dollars and cents sometimes too absolutely so. i think that's what i've realized as an entrepreneur in small business is you know your your people are family right and mm-hmm. you care about them immensely get involved in their lives you know their their, their family their children yeah and that that is our competitive advantage sometimes i can't match corporate pay i can't match yeah. corporate benefits corporate health insurance um but you know my involvement and care in your personal life to make work-life balance better you know, we can make a huge difference, and that's, I think, the entrepreneurial edge in small business when you uh, try to build a team. Exactly, and I think it goes to families huge, like with small business. I mentioned last week, like on the podcast, worked for Enterprise Rent-A-Car, corporate America for six years. Great company and everything, but I really feel working for a small business owner and everything, I feel I'm more valuable than I ever felt at that younger age. Doesn't mean that they didn't take good care of me and so on and so forth, but just my worth, I just feel more valued. Yeah, yeah. I know what you mean, and I think it's interesting. I have I have some friends from college. They love working for corporate America. They're corporate America people. Yeah, and they love knowing exactly what degree and how long they need to be somewhere and how many hours they have to put in to go to the next rung, right? Right. And then there's, I would call more people where I'm associate with or my mind is similar to, and you know there is no rules in small business. It's like work no. the hardest, be honest do the right things and you might get moved up or promoted in six months versus someone that's been here for 10 years because in small business it's all about outfit mm-hmm. and, it is. and I you know I love that environment I thrive on it and I do as well and big thing I like too is being honest work work your butt off and I feel like everything will fall into place you know if you do all the right things p- people will realize that and appreciate that absolutely be- being a serial entrepreneur which I know you are because you have your hands in so many things. I could only imagine you have many ideas and thoughts running through your head on an everyday basis. How do you prioritize those? You know, I, I would be somewhat lying if I ever said that I had it all figured out or I had a great game plan. I think when I went to college, I, so I went to school and I studied for entrepreneurship. And okay. so I, what was unique about my program, I grew up in a family business. I worked all the time in that family business. And then I went to college, and a lot of my classes overlaid with real entrepreneurs. We did real, I was looking at real financials and real companies and real case studies, and I always put these guys up on a pedestal like that. It all figured out, mm-hmm. and they were all unorganized, and they had this master game plan. And what I realized right. is most entrepreneurs are heavy IND personality. They're crazy as hell. They Absolutely. work all the time. They're driven, but they live a little bit day by day. They live and die by their own sword. And a lot of times mm-hmm. they just kind of figure it out as they go. And so I, I started out really doing it like that, figuring mm-hmm. out as I went. And as I've gotten older, I've gotten a little bit better about 
forecasting and planning and, and looking what I've done. But, you know, I really started my, my family business was a tanning salon company. You know, okay. I'm second generation. I took that over. And what I finally learned was there's all these like layers. You know, we pay rent. We buy advertising. And so I started trying to focus on things that I'm already spending money on as an expense. Mm-hmm. And how do I get in those businesses and turn that my own check rather than putting a stamp on it and mailing it to a vendor, yeah. taking that check and handing it to another box of a company of mine in the same office. And so I kind of figured that out in my mid twenties and started trying to pursue real estate um, and eventually got into the billboard business yeah. and, and really try to kind of found my niche with things that already overlapped from something I was doing well. Right. And it really gave me a, a, a kind of a safe building block to kind of go to the next step. And that's kind of remarkable what you said. Like wh- when you were 20 and everything, you re- realized that, you know, the light bulb came on. And you're like, okay, I, w- I want to do this. This is where I want to go. This is what I need to do to get there. And that's kind of cool because I feel sometimes later in life, it, it doesn't click for some of us, you know. Mm-hmm. What was uh, growing up in the tanning business there? Did you have one job that you – absolutely loved and was there one that you dislike you're like dad I I, I don't want to do that that's just that just sucks yeah or, you know well you know I started you know when the great state of South Dakota when you work for your parents there is no age limit on when you can start working right so right. I started working for my dad I think when I was about seven in the summer my parents were okay. separated and eventually got divorced and so my dad's time with me was he would pick me up from my mom's house mm-hmm. and he'd take me to work all summer yeah. And a lot of my friends are going to basketball camps, sleepovers, nannies taking them to the pool, and I'm with my dad, and we're at the office on the north side of Sioux Falls. And he had a warehouse. We had a, a wholesale company where we sold tanning beds, lamps, lotions, and then we had some retail salons. And, and my dad's a farm kid. He loved doing things himself. So, mm-hmm. you know, I had to go mow weeds with a push mower. <laughs> and I remember that was my least favorite thing at a young age because I'm not, you know, not very tall anyways, but at that age you're – the, the weeds are up to your, you know, mid-level of your chest. Yeah. And I remember grasshoppers jumping and hitting me in the face. I mean, just, I did, I did everything around the buildings right. and the shops and um, all the way through high school, I did a majority of the maintenance of the equipment, you know, dropped off supplies, cleaned things, fixed things, um, learned a, a great, uh, you know, lesson on mechanics of that type of stuff. And um, I got shipped off one summer to help my, my uncle lay tile. Um, and that was, I think, one of those moments that hit my head when you lay a tile, all your back hurts, your knees hurt. And I realized, like, I want to go to college. I want to study hard. I want to do, you yeah. know, something more. Um, it's a great thing to do. It's just mm-hmm. not what I wanted to do forever. So I, it really, even though I hated those jobs, it really motivated me later on to really, really try hard. Um, For and, sure. And transition. And then what I loved about it, my favorite thing when I was still in high school working in the family business was my junior and senior year, I had the opportunity to help be in wholesale sales. So people would call in. We're in South Dakota. A lot of the calls would come from California, so the different time zones. Right. And so everybody in the office would leave at 5 central time. Well, I would come in at 3.30 because school just got out, and I'd mm-hmm. answer phones like 7 or 8 at night. And my dad said, hey, if you sell a tanning bed, you know, I'll pay you a commission. And a lot of times I was thinking, well, Very I'll cool. sell like a $3,000 home unit bed to some gal in California. Mm-hmm. And I've heard my dad, you know, give the sales spiel a million times, so I knew how to say all the stuff. I knew how to fix it. But I, I had an opportunity to meet a few salon owners on the phone and actually brokered a few fairly significant deals in high school where we sold them the beds, the lamps, all the stuff to open a salon. And that is the first time I realized like there's some really cool things that they're doing it with brand 
and with design in their stores to create an atmosphere that we had not done in our business locally mm-hmm. in our retail. Right. And I saw that happen when I was in high school and I saw that in other markets like Oklahoma, California, and it really started getting my brain thinking about our family business and our retail business on, you know, we're missing some opportunity on how we brand our business, how we market our business and how we design. And that's kind of really what segued me when I went into college to, to get in the business and, and kind of help, you know, uh, grow our company. Thanks for sharing that. That's really neat. And then the things that you learned visiting with those other business owners, did you bring that back to the family business to your dad to implement it and the experience of having folks come in the door and enjoy the tanning experience at Year Round Brown? Yeah, we, I did. I mean, you know, it's so interesting. To, my dad, and it's such a cool story. He's like, like the classic starter entrepreneur, bootstrapped it from nothing. And he started our business 40 years ago. Um, the only tanning salon within four states in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, if you can imagine that. Oh my gosh. And he did very well. But you know, if you can imagine back when it was like a hospital, it was white rooms, white walls, there's no <laughs> brand, there's no marketing program. It was just, we're open and we have beds. And that's all it took back then, you know, in the early 70s. But as time went on, uh, when I was a junior in high school, we had a, a franchise come into Sioux Falls that was, you know, I don't think had good as equipment and have good as locations, but they had a really sexy brand and they had a really um, great marketing scheme and mm-hmm. they had a really great design when you walked in the store. And they were they kind of hurt us, you know, and, and so I was seeing that have a negative effect on our business as a family business, but then also seeing what these other salons and other markets were doing mm-hmm. and kind of developing ideas to, you know, improve our business. So that's um, really how I transitioned into our company. And that was the first thing we did was we rebranded our business, we remodeled our locations, we got a new marketing program, and then we just fought like hell for 10 years to kind of put our competition at bay. What, what made your dad get into uh, tanning? Um, you know, he, uh, being a poor farm kid, was going to college and he was, you know, basically broke. So he was selling insurance full time and going to college. And he's like, I wasn't the best insurance salesman, but I just learned, you know, if I called 100 people and make one sale, he'd always tell me, so I just called 200 people a day. Right. And he'd make two sales. And so that's kind of how he got himself through college. And so he, after college, was still selling insurance, but didn't have a passion for it, mm-hmm. um, but it was making a living. And he was, you know, I think as an entrepreneur personality, always was running late to things. And so there was a hair salon that put one tanning bed in. He never knew what it was, but he bought five sessions. And every time he showed up like 10 minutes late for his appointment, they, they took his session and he paid for it. And he got so mad, he went and bought his own bed and put it in the basement of his insurance office and started telling girls they met at the bar or friends that he, you know, whatever, yeah. like, I got a tanning bed, you can come to my place and use it like literally like that. And then put one in this house mm-hmm. and the neighbors, you know, literally thought he was dealing drugs because people were coming <laughs> over late at night. And with the in lights and everything. Of his house, yeah. You yeah. know, and they're seeing cars coming in and out. And so they called the cops and they said, hey, you can't be running a business out of your home. And so I think within a three year period, he, he borrowed money from my grandma. And it, that's back then when interest rates were 13, 14%. Right. And he bought a, a building on 33rd um, and Duluth Avenue, right off of Minnesota Avenue, okay. and opened his first tanning salon. And you know, built the walls, put the beds in, the whole thing. And, and, and when he first opened, he had lines out the door had no oh, idea what to do with it you know and there's no point of sale system there's no credit cards it's just cash and checks and a 20-minute session you know and so that was kind of the start of it all and he just through mm-hmm. the years you know um did all that and i grew up i remember i mean i wasn't there right in the beginning but growing up you know i remember 
you know, living at the salon. He had a little office in the back, and that's where I played when I was a kid. And, you know, we did, we painted the building, we pulled weeds, we did everything. So I had a really cool opportunity to grow up, and, you know, from kind of the start of it all um, through the whole thing and see the transition in business, see the shortcomings that we needed mm-hmm. to improve on, and then have an opportunity to maybe go to college or reach out to other entrepreneurs and learn some of those ideas mm-hmm. to take it from starting and growing a business to, you know, the next level of it. And so it's been a fun thing. Yeah, it seems like your dad laid the foundation for you there. He really did. And yeah. really really helped you, and you guys are really successful. And, and I inspired to always visiting with you too, Zach, because every time I see your hustle and things, I'm like, man, I need to surround myself more people, or like more people like Zach. So well, I appreciate yeah. that. Hey, not a problem. You too. I know you're always working hard. <laughs> I try, man. You came to my office like seven or eight times before <laughs> we ever got a deal done, but you always got me. You know, we so got it done. That. Hey, same here. Um, can you list some benefits of indoor tanning? Because I think there's a lot of them out there that a lot of people that don't even know that's viewing us um, live today on Facebook or even on the podcast too. Yeah, you know, I really appreciate that. It's interesting. So I'm on the board of the American Suntan Association. It's called the ASA. There's six board members. Okay. And I, I go out to D.C. every year. I meet with the FDA. So I, I know a lot of information about indoor tanning. And it's interesting because I think COVID is brought to light. There is traditional medicine mm-hmm. and then if you don't believe exactly what that school of thought says you're basically even if you're a doctor you're an outcast you're fraud science or whatever it yeah. is and so I feel like in a way our industry has gotten a very bad rap um, when we we've tr- presenting information right now with the FDA that I think would say is in support and we're not saying necessarily even indoor tanning just moderate sun exposure in general with, as long as they're not sunburning, mm-hmm. is a healthy thing for the human body. You know, we would not have human life without sun. Everything in our entire ecosystem derives from sun. Right. So think about this silly notion that we've learned in the last 40 years that we should deprive ourselves from all sun. Um, and, and so, you know, in the last 40 years, we've had this anti-sun message, whether it's tanning in a tanning bed yeah. or it's going out in the sun. You've been told, put on sunscreen, avoid sun. And what's interesting about that, skin cancer rates in the last 40 years haven't decreased at all. They've gone up. They have, okay. But yet, more people than ever don't go out in the sun. But what has increased, diabetes, mm-hmm. um, certain types of cancer, breast cancer, colon cancer, right. depression, mood mm-hmm. swings. And vitamin D is one of the things that help regulate your immune system, your hormones. And what we find is people in America have very low levels of vitamin D. A majority of people are vitamin D deficient, especially women after childbirth. They give a lot of, you know, a lot of vitamins leave your body. And, you know, so you need moderate sun exposure. Now, you need to do it safely. Mm-hmm. And, and I think vitamin D supplements are a great way to do it, too. But, you know, sun is a crucial role in your life. So I believe in a healthy balance. I, I, I just think if you listen to your body naturally, your, your body tells you. Like when I eat too much, especially junk yeah. food, I'm very tired and sluggish after lunch. I feel kind of like shit. I'm the same way. But if I eat a light salad and a piece of salmon and I work out that day, I have energy, I feel good. That's my body naturally telling me, thank you. You fed me the right stuff. Yeah. And and when I'm out in sunlight, I feel better. I, my mood is better. When mm-hmm. I'm tanning the tanning bed and it's middle of the winter, it's pitch black, freezing cold, and I have no sun for weeks, and I go lay in a bed, I walk out feeling better. Um, and so that's that vitamin D in your body playing that role. Um, and so, you know, we, we're supporting a very responsible message of don't overexpose, don't mm-hmm. tan too much, but get moderate, sensible sun exposure. And so, you know, even my children, there's, uh, there's a lot of things coming about sunscreen. 
And, you know, state of Hawaii has banned sunscreen on public beaches because it's killing the reef system. I didn't even know that. So think about that. Sunscreen, there's chemicals in sunscreen that are killing coral reefs, but we're slathering it on our body. And so we need to start questioning what type of sunscreen are we using. And then I, me personally, would prefer to get a moderate base tan, avoid burning, avoid overexposing, Mm -hmm. but work my way with a moderate base tan. And I prefer to have less sunscreen. I'd prefer to have a little bit of sun. And so I think it's all about moderation. Like I don't eat McDonald's every day, um, but I think eating it once in a while is okay. And so I think it's common sense moderation. Get a little bit of sunlight, work out, have a balanced diet, drink water, get good sleep. And I think you can be a generally healthy person. And so um, that's kind of the message that us as an industry is pushing that if you don't have time to get sun exposure, then, you know, tanning in in a professionally staffed salon that will skin type you to make sure that you don't get red or pink or overexposed mm-hmm. um, and get a moderate tan, you know, is a good option. And so that's really what we push. And we have a lot of, you know, amazing safeguards in our system. We uh, skin type people. Um, we, if, if um, you know, we, we, we go through a process so that, you know, maybe it says, you know, you would get red or pink after four minutes. So we, we won't let you go to more than four minutes to make, prevent that from happening. Then we, um, you have to go to a different location. It knows that you've been to one location. And so it asks you to take a 24-hour break before your next visit. So there's really a lot of sophistication in the equipment. Um, it's actually a class two medical device that goes through the FDA. The FDA is involved in that skin typing process. So I didn't even know uh, that. there's a whole different other side of science to it. Um, and so we're just trying to you know work with the FDA and try to get some more of that information out there. Um, and I just I just try to relay it in general to people's lives. I mean, right mm-hmm. now with coronavirus, you probably have read about vitamin D. Yeah, um, that's one of the things they talk about is essential to your immune system, and mm-hmm. so, you know, we're realizing how important it is to have a healthy dose, especially as you get older. You should go get vitamin D tested, and and um, you know, see if you're low because a lot of people are. So there's another set of population that needs, I think, more sunlight. Right. And so that's a lot of what we're advocating with the FDA. We're submitting studies, and we'll, it'll be interesting to see how they view it and how it all happens. But we feel hopeful that that maybe the mindset in the next 15 to 20 years will shift and people will realize that we need a responsible amount of sunlight. Right. You know, so that's where I think it's going. I, I love a healthy tan. I'm, I tan myself. It makes me feel good. I like the way I look. Mm-hmm. And that's the other part about it too is giving yourself confidence, you know, and exactly. I think sometimes we need confidence. We live in a tough world with social media and, mm-hmm. and all the, the flack that we can get sometimes at work and hectic in life. If you can have a little bit more confidence and feel good about yourself, that's not such a bad thing either. No, no, I appreciate you sharing that. And I really, really like that because I even feel like 15, 20 years ago, uh, tanning, it kind of had like a bad rap. And I feel like you guys are doing the right things, doing, go, going to the government, doing tests, so on and so forth. And like you said, it, everything's in moderation. Mm-hmm. If you go to McDonald's <laughs> all week, you're probably not going to feel good. And you're probably going to gain some, uh, some pounds most likely there. And may not be good for you but if you just do it once every so often and know what you're doing everything usually will work out yeah i think moderate sunlight's a great thing and i think this is cool about the younger generation is we're all starting to question things more yeah you know we're Mm -hmm. not just believing everything big government tells us or big science tells us because you know we all understand that everything's a business even in healthcare is a business there's always an objective there's always a pill there's always a you know, the next thing that can fix your, your whatever your ailment is. And I think the younger generation, they get a lot of flack, millennials. But I think what's really brilliant about the generation is they do a lot of self-discovery. They ask a lot of questions. They, they come to their own conclusions. 
And I think that's why you're seeing a rise in organic food. I think you're seeing a rise in natural supplements, rise in natural health care. It's because of the younger generation doing a better, ge- better job than our parents did of questioning some things that they're being told, you know, and just mm-hmm. asking more questions about it, doing yeah. more self-research. So I'm excited about, I think, I think you'll see a huge re, uh, uh, resurgence in, you know, just more holistic approaches to modern day health in the next 15 to 20 years. No, I totally agree with you. Um, with folks listening to, what would be a few tips for someone that maybe hasn't tan, or, you know, maybe ever in their lifetime, or, you know, professionally tan, and they're saying, oh, maybe this is something of, you know, interest to me, or I'm trying to get ready for a vacation or a wedding or, you know, a special event. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, no, I think, you know, if you're going to go to, I would say, like, I, we have, I have friends, you know, they go to Mexico every year and they want to get a base tan before they go. And so, you know, come into any, any year-round brown or anybody's salon. Yeah. And, you know, we, our team goes through a professional process. They'll, they'll check, they'll ask you some questions. They'll figure out your skin type. They'll make a recommendation. And it's, you know, it's amazing. These beds look like Ferraris. They're very comfortable. They're, they're nice. We have great spray tanning booths. And so um, you can get a nice moderate tan in, you know, a few weeks and, and be ready for a great vacation. Because nothing's worse than paying a lot of money and going to Mexico and then, you know, being so red that you can't even go outside and enjoy it. You right. Know? Yeah, you don't want to look like a lobster. Or yeah, a that, that's not good. Yeah. No, not. <laughs> <laughs> There's probably some good gifts or emojis and everything that we can put in that. For sure. We want to avoid the burning. Yeah. One of the, with you being an entrepreneur, and I know you do a bit into this, is cryptocurrency. Yeah. What, what is cryptocurrency if people are unaware of that? You know, it, the simplest way to say it is digital money. Um, and it's interesting, like, I, I've had so many people say, you know, well, that's a bunch of bullshit because, <laughs> you know, it's not backed, but, like, the dollar's backed. And I go, uh, is the dollar backed by anything? We got rid of the cold standard a long time ago. Yeah, we did. So, you know, when you have, like, log into your bank account, anybody listening, log into your bank account right now and look at how much you got in there. Just so you know, the bank that you bank was only required to keep 20% of that. I didn't even know that. So think about that, right? And and that's another thing. I think the rise of crypt- cryptocurrency is coming from this younger generation that's asking a lot more questions about finance. Mm-hmm. Like, why isn't all my money there? And why does it take so long to do a transfer? And why are there so many fees? And why can't I send my buddy money quicker? And why do I got to carry a wallet around? Mm-hmm. And I think cryptocurrency has a lot of answers to that. Why isn't banking more transparent? You know, when there's these, when you think about a, our, our banking system or financial system, it can get it can get hacked. All of our money is in a central central spot. So if there's right. someone penetrates that, there's a hack, and your money can be taken. It can be. But with yeah. cryptocurrency and the blockchain, that is pretty much foolproof because the blockchain is on millions of computers. It's an open ledger book. It's open source. Everybody can see everything that's happening. Every transaction. You mean you trade? I mean, they might not know it's us, but they can see our wallets. They can see our activity, and so it's really this honest approach to money. And I think a lot of people would like to see government be run mm-hmm. on a blockchain so yeah. we can see how government accounts for money we have no idea what our federal government does with money or how it goes or they bury it so far you know you have to do so many watchdog reports and so mm-hmm. it would be very interesting if you ran an entire you know government economy on the blockchain the whole world could see how a finance is being accounted for but right. you know in a sense cryptocurrency is digital money and you own 100 percent of that digital space if i own one bitcoin that one bitcoin's mine you know, and I, and I own it. I own that 100% digital space. It's hard to wrap your head around. Yeah. Um, it's sad because when I was in college, you could, you know, get it for nothing. 
and I had a buddy way before I was into it that was into it, and he had like several Bitcoin, and like he used to trade like for pizzas. He would trade for. He was part of an online file sharing music uh, like underground club because back then, like before you know Apple Music and stuff like mm-hmm. that, like people were you know pirating media, media, and then putting on these file sharing websites, and he would donate bitcoins to like help keep the community going okay and you know now it's worth over eleven thousand. at one time it was worth twenty thousand a bitcoin and so but you know had no idea where it was gonna go but but yeah i um i'm a huge fan of cryptocurrency i own a lot of ethereum and bitcoin and litecoin and then i'm a part of a startup company called coin lion that we've been around for about three years and at coin lion what what do you guys do there if so people aren't familiar with it. Yeah, Coin Lion. Um, we started in November of 2017. Uh, a bunch of Sioux Falls guys um, and a few other people, and we basically wrote a white paper on creating a cryptocurrency exchange. Which there, you know, there's a lot of cryptocurrency exchanges out there. There's Coinbase and Kraken. There's a million out there. Yeah. But being a cryptocurrency exchange that was really focusing on bringing Merrill Lynch, and I just use you know, not necessarily Merrill Lynch, but you know, Merrill Lynch style trading tools or some mm-hmm. big firm. You know, right now. You know, the Bollinger Bands and all the different things you, you would use to analyze the stock market where you'd say, okay, I want to look at Intel and Apple and see the last 20-year correlation. Right. really can't do that with cryptocurrency. No. And so all the yeah. metrics and tools you would use as a financial guy to make successful stock and equity plays don't really exist for cryptocurrency. And so we just wanted to bring all the financial tools that we've known for years in that space to the cryptocurrency market. So we built out an exchange. And man, like three years ago, we were just a bunch of young guys that thought this would be cool well it, it got real real fast because to do it legally in this country you have to become a bank okay and so our option was move to puerto rico and just don't do business in the united states but we, that's not what we wanted to do we wanted to be a, a trusted united states company mm-hmm. and so essentially we had to you know go through money transmitter licenses and surety bonds and so we can legally operate in 43 bank, 30, 43 states. We're essentially a crypto bank. Okay. And so, and then you would go into our platform like a TD Ameritrade or Scott Trader, whatever you want to say. Think of it like that. And you log in. You you have to go through several verifications, driver's license, same type of stuff that your bank would do if you were opening a checking mm-hmm. account. We have to know who you are. There's all this anti-mutter laundering and, and different types of stuff that we have to verify to make sure there's no nefarious activity happening. And then essentially you would open a, a coin line account and you can deposit USD, you know, uh, uh, US dollar funds right into the account. Okay. You can you can hook up your Wells Fargo or whatever bank you bank with um, to your coin line account. You can drop money in and then you can take that money and you can purchase digital currency like Bitcoin, um, Ethereum, Litecoin, and they all have different uses in different cases and, 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 and they're going up. I mean, the last few months have been a great time to own cryptocurrency. Um, as gold has gone up, yeah. cryptocurrency's gone up. And and then the next kind of level thing that we're doing besides just trading those things is creating um, some trading tools to help you trade it more effectively. And one of them that we're extremely excited about is an auto trading tool. Hmm. And in cryptocurrency, there's a lot of um, ups and downs in the market. Unlike the stock market, it's open 24 hours a day. And so, you know, Bitcoin might be... 11,200 and then it might be 11,600 at noon and 11,800 at nine and then back on 11,200. So we've developed an algorithm that will trade really small micro spreads. And we just try to trade those back and forth based on some key indicators. Okay. It's a proprietary algorithm. Um, we're in the process of patenting it, but it's it's doing well. It's making good returns. Hmm. Um, and and it's, you know, it's, it's something that it's 
out there. So if you log into your account, you can decide if you want to, you know, use the algorithm for yourself. You're the one doing it. You're the okay. one managing it. Um, but that's kind of what we're working on, and we're excited about it. And we think it's a great way for people to, to kind of get their hands in the cryptocurrency, understand a little bit. But I really think the future is blockchain. I mean, that's that's the real brilliance of what cryptocurrency is. And, you know, you're seeing IBM talk a lot about their commercials, mm-hmm. about blockchain yeah. technology and tracking tomatoes from Mexico to the United States using blockchain. Yeah. You know, you're seeing Bank of America has filed for over a thousand blockchain-related patents. So I think the modern financial world in the next 10, 15 years is going to change significantly. And cryptocurrency and blockchain will play a huge role in that. In the cryptocurrency and what you guys do at CoinLion, for someone to set up an account, is there a, a startup fee or how, how does that look? No, nope, no startup fees. We only, you know, we're like a like a Scott trade or a TD Ameritrade. We only take fees when you trade. Okay. You know, very yep. low cost fee. So having an account is no cost. And when you make a trade, we get a small fee for facilitating that trade and, and, and moving it back and forth. But it's, it's really a great product. It's a great... We think a great young South Dakota company, mm-hmm. um, and we're really excited to see where it goes. I'm just, I'm really bullish on the industry in general. I think it's going to provide a lot of transparency. And we, we don't really think about it in the United States because we take for granted, I think, how good and reliable our banking system is, how reliable our we currency do. is. But man, what if you lived in Zimbabwe, in in literally kids play with money in the street because inflation's like thousands and thousands of percent. I mean, you're, the money yeah. in Zimbabwe is worthless. You know, or you're in Venezuela, or what if you're a woman in Afghanistan? Women in Afghanistan aren't allowed to even have a bank account or have money. There's more cell phones in the world than there are bank accounts. So some of these countries that are oppressed, that. they don't—they're not allowed either by government or by law to have a bank account. But if they have a cell phone, cryptocurrency allows them to privately have money, and I think that is really cool and really empowering. So a lot of these underdeveloped companies use cryptocurrency way more than we use it because it's the only thing they have. Mm-hmm. And I kind of think it's kind of the new wave um, of, of trading or just just having funds and just being diverse in where your money is. Mm-hmm. You know? one, one thing I did like what you said, cryptocurrency kind of being the future, you know, in 10 to 15 years, if you have a crystal ball, what do you think that looks like, you know, 10, 15 years from now? Do you, you, yeah. do you see maybe like everyone has like a cryptocurrency, you know, app on their phone or so on and so forth? Yeah, I think it's going to be like Venmo and steroids. I, I think it would be too. I think yeah. we're going to be able to exchange money so much faster. Um, you know, I've heard the Winklevoss twin said that Bitcoin could be worth $500,000 a coin, Dang. you know, in, in 20 years. I don't know if that's going to happen. I'm not the guy to tell you that. Yeah. But I do think it's, it's here to stay. And I think the younger generation is really embracing it. And I think the way we transact money will be differently. I think you're going to see less and less drive-through banks. You're going to see more things done online. I, I think it'll be crazy if I have a credit card in five years. Mm-hmm. I think it'll all be done through mobile. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, global remittance. Like, we don't think about that a lot, but, like, for J.P. Morgan, it's one of their most profitable things they do as a bank. I didn't even know that. So that's why they hate cryptocurrency because it scares the shit out of them. Think about it. If you're a big bank, let's say I want to wire $20 million to Germany. That might take seven to 10 days. It might process through five different banks before it goes from the United States of America to Germany. And I might pay $6,000 in fees to wire $20 million through that many banks. For sure. But if I send you 20 million in Bitcoin, you'll get it in 10 minutes and it'll cost 10 bucks. And not one bank touched the money. That's unreal. So think about that. That's the future I think that there's some big ideas around. I think that's why you're seeing these big banks 
filed for so many patents because they realize they're going to have to get in the game. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the, the big stuff is starting to happen, and I think we'll start seeing it on Main Street, you know, shortly after. Cryptocurrency kind of makes me think of when I'm growing up, and this was high school and, like, college time. I collect cards, memorabilia, so on and so forth, eBay. So you buy and sell stuff on eBay. Then you write the check to the person. Then you send it to them. Then they send you your items, so on and so forth. Then PayPal came. Yep. <laughs> PayPal's like, okay, how can we take care of this market and everything and get the buyer and sellers their funds so much faster so they could get their items faster? Brilliant idea. Just unbelievable. And I, I think that's kind of where cryptocurrency is going here Absolutely. in the future. So. I love PayPal. I just it's one of my favorite products ever, and you know I, I can tell I'm older because I use PayPal more than Venmo. Um, me, me as well. <laughs> but I so. like, I will pay for anything with PayPal if I can online. It makes the right. user experience better. And I um, Overstock.com is an example of a company that I bought a fire pit for my backyard with cryptocurrency, and it was a lot like paying with PayPal. I I clicked cryptocurrency option. Mm-hmm. I had 20 minutes to tender my sale on overstock.com because prices can change with cryptocurrency. Yeah. And so they gave me a 20 minute window to process my deal, but I just logged in, hit a button, it went like that, and then they fe- sent me a fire pit. Nice. You know, so it's pretty cool. I think uh, Mark Cuban's taking cryptocurrency. So if you go to Mavericks uh, NBA basketball game, I think you can walk up to the ticket office and, and pay with crypto. And there's more, you know, I think more coming. Very cool. I like Mark Cuban. He's one of the guys I like to follow on everything. He, he kind of reminds me a lot of you, entrepreneur. Mine's always going. He's on Shark Tank. He's owner of the team and then just finds different ways and businesses to put his hands in. So, yeah, and yeah. just a great energy. I love his energy. I love, well, his, I love passion. his energy too, yeah. He'd be a fun guy to work for. Yeah, he'd be very passionate. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of finish on some fun topics if you're good with that. Yeah. Before we got on today, we were talking fantasy football, you and – some of your um, high school friends and everything got together for a fantasy football draft and kind of uh, talked about good times. And who who do you think is a good fantasy football sleeper this year? Oh, man. You know, I, this is the one year I'm like a huge fantasy football guy, and this is like the one year I'm not super prepared on it. But a lot of good receivers in the yeah, draft. Yeah, there is. And a lot of good running backs. I like, you know, I'm a huge Vikings fan, so I'm, I'm trying to get Jefferson. Um, I think the Vikings are going to have a good year. Ian Jefferson, oh, man, I liked him at LSU. What a receiver. He kind of reminds me a lot of OBJ. Yes, super talented, runs great routes, has great hands. So I'm, I'm excited for the Vikings, too. I, I always say that because, you know, uh, a <laughs> lifelong Vikings fan, you, you never expect to win. But um, our offensive line, I don't think it will be great, but I think it will be stable, which we haven't had a stable line in a long time. And mm-hmm. we got two stud defensive ends. we got some young corners. And assuming that Jefferson can step up and, and uh, you know, I don't know. I think we could play pretty well. So you're saying Jefferson is probably your sleeper pick, maybe? Yeah, I, I don't know the running back class that well, and I should. Uh, I mean, obviously in fantasy football you want to get that young stud running back. I, I So my college uh, fantasy football league, it's a keeper, two, two keepers. Okay. And so I've kept Barkley and, and Zeke. Zeke Elliott, you know, for a while. So I've had a pretty good run. And then I always just spend a ton of money. I'll go get a McCaffrey or something mm-hmm. like that. I, I play three running backs, and I'll fill in the fill in the pieces. Those are – that's a heck of a backfield, though. Yeah. Zeke, Barkley, oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. I got – I McCaffrey. think I got Zeke because he had some controversy coming out of college. Yep. So I think I picked him up for like 12 bucks in a $200 auction. 
And then I think I'm Barkley. I'm in the range of like 39 bucks, which he goes for like mid 50s. Yeah, he does. And I just plug them both together, and then I'll spend like 70 bucks on like last year. I just spent 70 bucks on McCaffrey, so I don't have a lot of money left. But I had three of the top 10 running backs, and then I just plugged it in, and you know, had a pretty good team. I think that is a pretty good team. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. wish my team was that good. <laughs> we haven't won in the last few years, but we're due, just like the Vikings. Yeah. It could be the Super Bowl for you guys this year. Who do you like? I'm a, I'm a Broncos fan, okay. as you know, being from Colorado. This is going to sound like a homer bet, but I like Philip Lindsay. I do, too. We, we, sat, we signed Malvin Gordon. I think he's definitely going to shore up the backfield with us this year. Uh, he's going to get uh, take away some of the touches there that Rice Freeman used to have um, last year. But I just think Bill Lindsey, just hearing from training camp, and he's such a better receiver, they're saying, right now out of the backfield. And I think he's definitely going to surprise folks. I think Malvin Gordon will actually start, I believe. Yep. Um, and probably get get first, or you know, probably two handoffs, and then they'll they'll bring in Gordon, and even for the goal line, I think they're going to put Phil or Phil Blinsey there instead of Gordon. Well, he offers more options, right? He, he does can catch, he can run. Yeah, I love his burst of speed. He's fun to watch, and the kind of thing we were talking about underdogs earlier. He's he is your traditional underdog, undrafted out of Colorado. He comes to the Broncos, practice squad player, and he he started his first year, Pro Bowl player, man. Gets awesome. Stuff. I think, yeah, that that's my that's my sleeper. I don't know if it's even a sleeper because some folks are like, oh, you should go in your fourth or fifth round of your <laughs> fantasy yeah. football draft. So, but um, I think Denver's gonna be a low key, really good team. Sutton's a great receiver. They Sutton got they good. got a couple good. They got drafted a few. I think first round receiver. Mm-hmm. Um, quarterback looks pretty good. I don't know. I I think Denver's on the way up. I really think Denver will be a playoff team this year. I think we're going. 10 and 6. I think 10 and 6. And I know we got some Chiefs fans listening. I think we're going to get the Chiefs a run for their money. I, I love Mahomes. I really do. He's I really so fun. love Mahomes. He's probably one of the best QBs out there. Probably the best quarterback right now. And he is fun to watch. But the one thing that I think Denver has over the Chiefs, and I'm probably going to get hate mail after this, our defense. Our defense is top three paid in the whole NFL. Mm-hmm. Well, defenses win championships. If you guys remember when Denver beat the Panthers in the Super Bowl, yep. it's not because of Peyton Manning in our offense. I'll tell you guys that Von much. Miller wrecked it that was, thing up. It was Von Miller, baby, <laughs> and those defensive backs. It was no fly zone. They, they, they scored the majority of the points of that whole Super Bowl. So that's yeah. my thoughts there, man. I like it. <laughs> I'm the Holmes is so fun to watch, though. I, I jo- I've been joking with my college roommates. We all went to school in Minneapolis, and I'm like, I lifelong Minneapolis guy. I'm like, I should just quit now and, you know, forever be a Chiefs fan and a Royals fan because I just want to be a winner. Yeah. I just want to win sometime, you know, but they're, they're so fun to watch. They are, and I lived in Omaha prior to moving here to Sioux Falls, and the coolest thing about living in Omaha was we, we bought season tickets for uh, Omaha Royals, Omaha Storm Chasers now, AAA baseball team for the Royals. And we got to see Mike Moustakis, Eric Hosmer, yeah. Salvi Perez, Escobar, Kane, all these Those guys. Those are some dang good baseball players. And they were all – and the coolest thing is our seats were like two or three rows from the visitors' dugout. So I talked so much trash, and it was so much fun just talking to the opposing teams and their pitchers and even their coaches. But just seeing those guys grow up, and, and the best thing was they won a World Series with – with the Royals, and they were all homegrown pro- prospects. You don't see that anymore, uh, unless you're the Oakland A's, 
and you're usually like a money ball team. Right. That hardly ever happens. No, you're right. So, I don't know. Is that the year they had Grinky? Um, I don't think Grinky was a part of that team because I think Cueto was their starter. Okay. I think, I think it was Johnny Cueto. And yeah. then um, uh, um, Big Game Shields. James Shields was yep. part of that rotation. And then the closer, they had Wade Davis and uh, Greg, Greg Holland. A few, a few other guys, but yeah, I forget you said King, and I forget his first name. Name uh, Lorenzo. Yes. Yeah. I love that guy. I was in Vegas one time with a bunch of buddies, and we're in the sports book, and I basically need my life saved, and uh, you know I'm watching. He's now with the Brewers, mm-hmm. and it's like bottom of the ninth, two outs. There's like two guys on, and it's like a three-two, three-two count, and I need the Brewers to win, and it just looks like it's completely over, and he just bam you know goes yard you know so he's like one of my favorite guys and the way he his swing was you knew when he hit it it was gone just kind of like babe ruth just pointing it out there it goes yeah oh man was that when he was a brewer then Mm -hmm. back then Mm -hmm. miller park and then he had the guy coming down the beer slide and everything to celebrate that miller park too yeah my, my favorite story, and we'll kind of end with this because I know your time's valuable, is when we were had our season tickets at the Storm Chasers there, Mike Moustakis was just called out from the Royals. And um, he was, oh, man, hitting like 200 with the Royals, just not doing really good. And he had the high expectations, just like Hosmer did. And they were playing, um, it would have been the Omaha Redhawks, Texas Rangers affiliate. Manny Ramirez was actually with them at the time. Oh, wow. Manny Ramirez. Uh, was kind of not the nicest guy. I'll just tell you that much because kids were trying to get his autograph and he just wasn't being too too kind to him. And I'm like, just give the kids an autograph, okay. man. It's not like it's us adults trying to get an autograph from you, man. Just, just young kids looking up to you. Exactly. Yeah. You're you're basically their idol. And um, Moustakis comes up and we're right behind home plate and we're like, Moose, prove to him why you believe or why you belong in the major leagues, baby. Just knock it center field, baby. Just a home run. Let's go. First pitch comes, it's ball. Second pitch, down the middle. Moustakis just takes it, right field. Oh, I had to go 400, 425. Nice. He comes around third. Me and my best buddy, we're standing there. We're like, yeah, Moose, you the man, way to go. And he points to us and gives us a fist bump. <laughs> and we're like, yes, yes. So fun. <laughs> That's so awesome. But, oh, man, I missed COVID. Let's get done with it. Let's get sports going like it should be. And then yep. life will come back to We got to get back to normal. We can't we, live like this we gotta forever, get back to normal. you know, yeah. for our mental health and, you know, economically and whatever. So uh, hopefully we can get through it this together and, and 2021 will be a great year. Yeah. Live well, be great, and we'll get through this. Sounds good. Thanks for your time. Appreciate hey, it. thanks, Zach. Yep.